0: I appreciate you all taking the time to watch this episode today. Naturally, you're going to want to listen to this podcast. Obviously, we have to start with why you should listen. And typically, these go one of two ways. You either leave a review at the end of this episode or you subscribe to our newsletter. So, Nick, welcome to this episode with Joe Deliberto, the president and owner of Sandler Training in San Francisco Bay Area. Nick, why should people listen? Armand, I've learned so much from Sandler in my selling career, stuff
1: like setting up front contracts so the conversation on a discovery call or demo doesn't go awry, stuff like talking about next steps in the beginning of meetings so that you end up having velocity in your stale, and even the way that you ask questions to customers so they don't say, why are you asking me so many questions? So this one is a must listen. That's all I got to say. Three, two, one.
0: Why are you asking me so many questions?
1: tune
0: steal them. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect Rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: All right, Joe, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three.
2: All right. First off, before every call, Nick, you've got to do a two minute drill in your head. And here are the four components of a two minute drill. First, you've got to be really clear on the purpose of the call. Number two, you've got to know the desired outcome of the call. Number three, you've got to guess what their pains are. You're going to need to know what those are before you walk into a call because you're the expert. And four, got to have some idea of where they are on things like the DISC profile. Are they, are they technical or so on? So purpose, desire.com, guess their pains and, and DISC. Beautiful. What's number two? Number two, you know, we all tend to ask the question, how'd that call go? How'd that call go? Don't ask that question. Instead, ask this question. How did that call end? How did that call end? We are always selling next steps. You got to be really clear on clear next steps. Nice. Round us out, Joe. What's number three? Number three, you know, asking questions, asking challenging questions is an important part of any selling efforts. And, and so there are lots of techniques and ways to do that. One is third party stories. So rather than saying to somebody, oh, I can help you with that, I can show you how to make more money, I can show you how to be more efficient, don't do that. Instead, say, hey, I'm not sure at this point if I can help you or not. However, let me share with you how we've helped others with problems and situations like that. I don't know. Is that something that would apply to you? Third-party story.
0: I love this. So I want to go to next steps, and then we'll sort of work our way backwards. And so I've always been trained to set another meeting on the books and keep moving the deal forward, but you're explicitly talking about selling next steps. So could you tell us a little bit more about what reps tend to screw up or what we should be doing instead as it pertains to always having a next step on the books?
2: Yeah, good question. You know, I I think a lot of times we haven't earned the right for asking for the appropriate next steps. So I always think about selling as helping people make decisions. But what's more important than that is recognizing the little micro decisions along the way. And so we're always asking for the appropriate decision. So like in a first meeting, I might say to somebody, hey, look, the good news about this meeting is not a decision-making meeting. And of course, that takes the pressure off. Then I might say this, the only decision we'll have to make is, is there a need for us to schedule a follow-up meeting or not? Is that something you'd be comfortable with? Yeah, I could do that." that. See, that was a reasonable request. So are you doing this at the beginning of the call, where you're setting the expectation for next
0: steps at the end?
2: So, you know, we have this thing, like an upfront contract, right, that we're really setting that really guides the call. It's really interesting, Armand, where here we are, the experts selling our stuff, but we relinquish control of the call so easily to the prospect. I always think about doctor-patient analogy. A doctor would never do that. So one way to get into control is, just as you mentioned, something that you do in the beginning, something that you do at the end, and even little ones in the middle, And so in the beginning, you're going to have to set some ground rules. Hey, before we get started, I know we have allocated an hour for this call. Is that still going to work for you? Yeah, I'm good for that. Okay, great. Well, you know, since we only have an hour, let's talk about what it is we want to accomplish on this call what's the purpose of this call? And and you're talking about, well, it's a chance for us to figure out if there's some problems here that need to be addressed, right? Well, well, I'm guessing you have questions for me, I've got questions for you. So that's kind of the the next step in this beginning piece. But then listen to this. Let's make sure we save some time at the end to determine what just happened in this meeting. Because I'm guessing one of two things is likely to occur. It's possible that this is just not something that makes any sense for one of us. Maybe it's not the right timing, not the right, not what you're expecting. I just wanna make sure you're comfortable to let me know that. Is that something you'd be okay? Yeah, I can do that, Joe. And uh, the flip side is we have a really good meeting and we talk about what would the next step look like. So we might even talk a little bit about what that might be. So that's the beginning of the call. Now, the end, now, if somebody says, hey, this is great, and we both agree to put a meeting on the calendar, don't forget to say this, before we hang up, let's spend a minute right now talking about what it is we want to do in that meeting next Tuesday. I certainly want to make sure I'm prepared, and there's some things that I'd like you to be thinking about as well. So there's the sort of the upfront contract at the end. So we've done one in the beginning, and we've done one at the end. We might do a couple in the middle. I'll give you an example. Let's assume we hear a problem. You know, Joe, the concern that I have is my team is doing a lot of proposals, but they're not winning very many of them. I'm saying to myself, there's a problem. Now, I already know why that happens, but but, but we know that people never argue with their own data, but they might argue with mine. So our job is to facilitate a conversation here. So I'm gonna use a little miniature contract. Hey, Hey, can we spend a little time on that? I want to make sure we I understand what's going on here. More than just what the problem is, let's together figure out what's, what's causing this problem. And if we do our job right, let's figure out the impact it's having on your business. Is that all right? Yeah, I could do that. So that's kind of three examples of ways that we can kind of stay in control and keep the prospect's interest in mind.
1: I love that question, can we spend a little time on that, because you're almost putting a... A stake in that piece of the conversation to say, this is something I would like to spend more time on. Because it's so easy for somebody to make a comment like that in passing, but then take the conversation in a totally different direction. And like, you know, you need to dig into that because that's going to help you help them at the long run. I'm curious about areas in the upfront contract in the beginning of the call where things start to go awry and how you handle that. So let's say Armand and I have a meeting for an hour. And I've done my, all my research on Armand. I looked at his disc profile. He's the highest D somebody could possibly be. We show up. We've got a certain amount of time. And he says, Nick, I've only got 15 minutes. What do I do in that situation?
2: <laughs> well, you know, you said a key thing there. And that is he's a high D on the disc profile. So you have to understand. I mean, I think selling, it's kind of like understanding human behavior. Why would that D person say that? Well, the answer is, they're not sure yet if they wanna give you that whole hour. They want to remain in control. And they're expecting me to do something with that, like this, oh, oh, all right, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll make this quick. I'll make sure we stay in 15 minutes. That's what they're expecting. But here's what I'm gonna say instead. you know what? Before I do that, 15 minutes is a one reason. What they might say is I got half an hour, I have 45 minutes. I'll give you 45 minutes instead of an hour just to give themselves some cushion. I'll say this, hey, you know what? Let's do this, let's stop at a half hour. I don't think you're gonna need that much time. I don't think you're gonna need that much time. Let's do a time check at a half hour. And and at that point, you tell me if you want to continue or not. Now, real world, let's let's go back to your example, Nick. I got 15 minutes. Here's what I'm gonna say. Gosh, 15 minutes. Not a whole lot we can do in 15 minutes. How about we do this? Let's use the time. I'd like to learn a little bit about your business. In the 15 minutes, let's just decide together if there's a need for the next step or not. I don't know. What do you think? Now, again, there's a language we have to speak to a D. It better be freaking to the point. It better be very task oriented. No fluff. So Joe, there's this whole concept within Sandler where you're always
0: staying in control. And one other place You'll tend to lose control is you get peppered with objection after objection after objection after objection, and you just keep trying to handle them, handle them, handle them, and you lose control because they're now driving the direction of the call. How do I break that pattern and retake control when I have a D like me who is going to pepper you with all the things that
2: I want to know? Well, that's that's a real world question, right? So a couple of things on that. I think our job in selling is anticipating stuff. We should be able to anticipate that. So one thing I might say in an upfront contract, because it also helps me put my biggest fear up front. And my biggest fear in your example is they're going to pepper me with questions, right? So here's what I might say in the upfront contract. Hey, you know, if I were in your shoes, probably what I would want to know is, you know, what is it you guys can do to help me? And what is it going to cost? And I imagine you got a lot of questions around those. And, And that's important. I want to make sure we cover that. So are you okay if we spend about the first 20 minutes or so of this meeting rolling up our sleeves so that I have a better idea of what's going on in your business and your world so that when we get to your questions, it'll make a little more sense. Are you okay with that? Who would say no to that? No, 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 I want to ask a lot of questions for. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's interesting, I'm a back to human behavior. People are doing this because they want to be in control. Whatever comes out of my mouth cannot be in my best interest. It has to be in their best interest. I want them to say out loud or at least think to themselves, you know what? I think I like his plan better than my plan. So let's assume I screwed that up and I, I skipped it and I still get the, the peppering questions. I'm going to have to back up a little bit. Hey, man, I, I, can, I call, can I make a suggestion? So that's an important little transition term. Hey, it's like a timeout. Hey, can I make a suggestion? It sounds to me like you've got a lot of questions here, and they sound like really important ones. How about if we take a step back a little bit? I want to make sure I have a better understanding of what's going on. And then when we get back to your questions, it'll make a little more sense. Are you good with that? So those are the kind of different ways to pivot.
1: So I want to talk a little bit about the upfront contract at the end of the call. Because there's a couple things that are going on here. One, you're talking about the next step and what it's going to be. And then you're also creating an opportunity to talk about what that next step is going to be. Can you give me a little bit more detail about like, what you're doing there? Because I think there's some intention behind the way that you structure the upfront contract at the end of the meeting.
2: Yeah. You know, there are, there are two things that are going on in a sales process. One is the steps in your sales cycle. And the other is a selling system to qualify or disqualify opportunities. So when we talk about selling the next step, that implies that you're selling the next step in your sales cycle, which means you need to know what that is. And so now we're beginning to paint a picture for them to feel very comfortable with in terms of teaching them how to buy from us. The term we use is edu-sell, educate while you sell. Now, I'll give you an example of something I'm going to anticipate and how I handle it. Hey, Joe, this is a great meeting. I really appreciate all the stuff that we're talking about. Why don't you do this? Put a proposal together and email it to me. We'll take a look at it internally. I'll share it with my team and we'll get back to you. Boy, I hope there's no one on this that's listening to this podcast that says yes to that. But I have a funny feeling that sometimes people do. So instead, here's what I would say to that. I would be happy to send you a proposal, but can I make a suggestion? Would you be okay if I put together a draft of an agreement? Let's put a meeting on the calendar. Let's go through it together. Let's roll up our sleeve, let's pop the hood, let's go deep here and make sure we fine tune it so that what we end up with is a customized recommendation or agreement. Is that something you'd be okay with? Now, think about that. If the answer to that question is, no, just send me the proposal, sounds like a disqualify to me. If the answer is, well, yeah, sure, I'm happy, let's do that. Let's let's put a meeting on the calendar. Now I know, see, there are a lot of little gates that I'm hoping the prospect goes through in the sales call. And so I think about the term... The negotiating term, no unilateral concessions, we know what that means. If you know, can you lower your price if the answer is okay, you don't get, that's a unilateral. But, But I view that in terms of other things like information. Like if somebody's asking me to send a proposal, there's no way I'm sending a proposal and getting nothing in return. That would be a unilateral concession. Instead, I'll put something together. By the way, I'm going to call it a working draft of an agreement not a proposal. I don't like that word. Proposal? but An agreement? I can do that. And then let's put a meeting on the calendar.
1: Well, I really like the phraseology you're using here of like, it's a working draft because the idea is you have a hunch based on this one interaction, what you think that they need. And you're going to do your best putting together that working draft of an agreement. But like Hopefully, if we're going to be doing business together, we can collaborate and make this thing work better for you and also better for me. And that's that's the purpose of that conversation, I think. This isn't just me being like, here you guys go, buy it or don't. Like, you're collaborating with the buyer. I, I love that language. Can we go now to when that call happens? Armand, your buyer, says, sure, let's schedule that. You've scheduled a meeting for next week. You put together a working draft. You show up. What does that call look like? Are you using another type of upfront contract? How do you set up that call? And if so, like, I don't know what it sound like.
2: Right, so I'm gonna first talk about this upfront contract in that second follow-up call, but then I'm gonna go back a little bit. So think about what I say here, because what I'm gonna do is close the sale in the first 60 seconds of the call. All right, I'm gonna close the sale, watch this. Hey, John, really looking forward to our, our time we got scheduled here together to go through this uh, draft. Uh, I know we put an hour on the calendar, still going to work. Yeah, still going to work. Hey, look, it, we're going to go through this together. It's, it's my understanding that at the end of this meeting, we're, we're kind of at a place where you're either going to give me a green light, we're going to move forward here, thumbs up, or not what you're looking for, we're not going to do this. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's pretty much where we are, Joe. Done. The sale is closed. Now, of course, we have to make sure all these details line up, but that's an important upfront contract. That's the ultimate close upfront contract. Now, let's go back to that first meeting, because if this second meeting goes well, here's how I know it went well. I'll hear this. Yeah, this is pretty much what we talked about and agreed to in that last call. That's what I should hear. So let's go back to the first call here's what has to occur in the first call. Three things. One, there has to be a problem that needs to be solved here. Number two, somebody's got to be willing to spend money or invest in it or spend more than they're currently spending on it. And three, I better be talking to the person or people that can make that decision. Now, I'm going to go right back to that first one. There's got to be a problem. So so this is a, I think a critical element. I, I know I personally had to work really hard on this. We all know cell pain, right? Find pain, find problems. We, we know that. But what we sometimes miss are the three layers of pain. And so the first layer of pain is an observable problem. Now, typically, when a salesperson hears a problem, we get pretty excited. Like, wow, I, I can help you. That's exactly what my solution can address here. Don't do that, don't do that. Instead, be patient. Remember, people never argue with their own data but they might argue with yours. So I have to facilitate this conversation. So so the next layer of questions has to get to what's causing it? Like what are the underlying reasons that this problem is existing? And, And then if we do our job right, I mean, we all got problems, but is it serious enough to to take action now, which is the definition of pain, an emotional reason to take action now?
0: I want to go back to the example you used earlier where you say like, hold on a second. Can we dig in a little bit there more? What are the types of questions that I can be asking? In other words, I'm jumping into my first discovery call. I find something that I think is a problem, but I don't know how to get them to say, this is a problem that is serious. This is a problem that I want to solve with you. All I'm able to do is get them to hint at that first surface level problem. How do I get deeper than that?
2: So to step back and think of the bigger picture, what we're really doing in sales is helping a prospect paint a picture of where they currently are. Let's call that current state. And then we're really trying to get them to help us understand what where they're trying to be, kind of this desired state. Now, the way we ask these questions is actually our presentation. So we have a term that says the best presentation is the one they never saw. It's because the questions we're asking is defining our knowledge of the situation. And the questions are challenging. So now that now you step back and you're looking at these two pictures, current state and future state, and, and, and now we're trying to figure out what are the roadblocks? What are the things that are getting in the way? And we're steering these questions, of course, to the things that that are in our sort of sweet spot that we can help them with, not a manufacturing issue, but the things that we work on, right? So now now we can start dropping in third-party stories with, That's remember, that's a questioning strategy, with maybe a menu of uh, things. Hey, you know, you're telling me that your salesperson is uh, is, is uh, writing proposals and not winning very many of the, the other, those, those proposals. You know, a lot of times I hear that it's, it's either because there's just no selling system to qualify or disqualify, or they're just chasing stuff with a low probability to win. I mean, what are you saying? So, so the question had a couple choices in it. And, and again, since you guys or the listeners are the experts in your field, the way I think about it is problem, reason, impact, question problem, reason, impact, question. So I need to do some homework in my preparing for a meeting. So I need to know the problems that I solve, which means I should also know what typically drives or the reasons for those problems. I don't know the impact yet based on that organization, but that's gonna give me the question to ask. So I better do my homework and know what problems I solve and therefore the kind of questions I should ask that will uncover those.
1: One thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently is not wasting my time on deals that aren't really deals, like chasing Armand, who's a a lowly director of sales, and has no actual buying power in his organization, but he wants to ask me 847 different questions about my product and pricing. And like when I ask to involve other people in his organization, he doesn't grant me access to them. And I feel like that's where a lot of salespeople spin their wheels and waste a lot of time, because- Armand's just senior enough that it seems like he might be able to help get this done, but it's not happening. Can you talk about how I should approach a situation like that?
2: Right. Well, first thing that comes to my mind, Nick, is never take a no from a person who can't give you a yes. Never take a no from a person who can't give you a yes. That's the first thing that goes to my mind. The second thing that goes to my mind is that at different levels of an organization, there are different levels of pain. When you're hearing people talk about, well, my budget, I don't have budget for that. Uh, if, if you were talking to the CEO of that organization, they're not gonna say, we don't have budget for that. They're gonna be asking, how is this gonna move our organization forward? How is this gonna help us gain market share? How is this gonna help us accelerate uh, innovation? That, that's what they're not, What's we don't have a budget for that. So, so the point is we do have to get to the higher levels. But at times, a lot of times, that person that we're dealing with is gonna gonna be shielded from getting to their boss, their manager. And, And so they're gonna say things like, don't worry, I'll take it to my management team. Now, remember, it's a lot easier to buy something than to sell something. We know how hard it is to sell something. Even if that person wants to get your product in, they're gonna have to sell it internally. So I need to coach them a lot. And I'm getting to, Here's the final question. You know what, based on what we're talking about, would it make any sense to put me in front of your team, have them kick the tires? So here's the path that I would go down to do that. Okay, John, I I get it. You're going to be sitting down with your your management team. Hey, let's go through what what do you think the top couple questions are going to be that they're going to ask you? And I'm going to listen. Let's we already know what they are. What what makes you want to recommend these guys? And and what's the cost and how are you going to justify that? whatever they say, I'm going to say, That's, those are good questions. How are you going to respond to those? And then I'm going to add more questions. They're probably going to ask you this as well. I don't know. What, what do you think? What would you say to that? I want to get to them to the point where these questions are getting a little hard. And then I want to be able to say, you know, when we work with companies alike, and I'll maybe drop a couple big names. We work with companies like Oracle and Cisco or whatever the right ones are. And there were Typically, what they do is put us in front of their management team, because these are typically important initiatives. We, we we kind of work together through this. I don't know. Is that something you can do? So again, I've got to build up to that. It can't be, can you put me in front of your management team? I got to build up to that.
0: So Joe, we've at this point, hopefully made our way to the exec meeting. We've presented to the team. You've bracketed them on pricing and you have a general sense you're in the right realm, but- Now you're going head to head with a CFO, and they're like, Joe, your competitor is 30% cheaper than you, or I thought this was going to be 50K, 100K cheaper than it is. Like, this seems absolutely ridiculous. What do I do to stop that initial pressure, and how do I handle
2: a negotiation like that? That sounds like a lot of pressure, first of all, to me. All right, the first, the first thing I'm on to recognize is if you ever get into that position, just what you outlined, you did something wrong in the sales process. That should never happen. But it does, you might get something a little, little more mild than that. Hey, you know, Joe, I, we looked at a couple of your competitors. We can get the same thing for for like X number of dollars less. Anything you can do there to help us out. So in that case, I might say, you know, gosh, I like just to let you know, if, if, if you can get the same thing for a lower price, you got to go with them. I mean, why would you spend $1 more for this? I wouldn't. The only reason we should keep talking is if maybe we're not comparing apples to apples. Would it make any sense to do that? But having said that, Armand, let me let me share with you a couple of negotiating principles that maybe prevent us from getting to that stage. I'll just give you four quick ones. One is, these are, you know, there's a couple like really good negotiating stuff like Chris Vosh, you may have heard of him. He's got some great negotiating YouTubes out there and a great book, of course, Never Split the Difference. One is show your willingness to walk away from the deal, right? And that happens in the upfront contract where we say, hey, look, let's figure out together if this is a good fit. I hope you're comfortable to let me know. I might let you know that we're not a good fit. So that's the first one. The second one is you've got to create leverage. Whoever has more leverage in negotiating is in a better position. That happens at the bottom of the pain funnel. Remember, problem, reason, impact. If you can quantify impact, that's where you're creating leverage. The third rule in negotiating is no unilateral concessions. So you would never lower your price and get nothing in return, which leads to the fourth one, which is really in my mind, the one that I use the most that helps me negotiating skills. And it's this, never negotiate, only give options. I'll say it again, never negotiate, only give options. Think about that for a second. If, I, if you said to me, what's your price? And I said to you, whatever it is, $10,000. That is so bad that anything past that is going to be trouble. Gosh, can you, it's a little more than we were expecting. Can you give me a little better deal than that? Or our budget is only up to 8,000. If I lower my price, there's no way you can trust me. So instead, if I say, you know, a couple of ways we might go with this thing. I mean, if you told me budget was really critical, I might say to you, look, there are some things we can do that are going to be somewhere in the six to eight range. If you said to me, look, this has to work. We got to be all in. I'm going to tell you, we're, we're probably looking at something closer to 15 and something in the middle might include other. Help me out here. I'm kind of seeing you in the middle to the top. I mean, wh- what do you think? So again. Never negotiate, only give options. People need to be involved in those kind of choices, not here's my number. You've just backed yourself into a corner.
1: Joe, this has been phenomenal. Thank you for a really, really great episode. We're running out of time, so we got to move to the final question. Final question is this, we've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing in their selling conversations, and I want to flip that on its head and ask about the inverse. So the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to stop doing because it's hurting them more than it's helping?
2: I think that getting emotionally involved in the outcome is is probably what I'd put my finger on. They they either take it too personally or it's all about them. It has nothing to do with you. You are helping somebody fix their problems. Be the doctor. This has nothing to do with you. Don't get emotionally involved in the outcome. Love it. Joe, anything that you want to promote before we jump off here? Gosh, first of all, thank you. And yeah, I run boot camps on a regular basis. If there's any listeners on your group that want to attend one of those, they're welcome to reach out to me. I'd love to have them.
1: Everybody, seriously, go check out Joe. He's phenomenal. He's actually coached some folks who have been on this show before. So he's world-class. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Reach out and stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Joe DiLiberto include, number one, use an upfront contract at the front end of your meeting to anchor every single customer to next steps at the end of your meeting. Number two, use an upfront contract at the end of your meeting to anchor to the outcomes of the following meeting. So always control the end and the beginning of your meetings. Lastly, number three, when you find something that's of interest, you can dig in and say, hey. Hold on, can we spend a little bit of time on that? That's one way that you can really show that you're demonstrating active listening skills. And then lastly, number four, if someone asks for 15 minutes back at the top of the hour, just say, hey, that's totally fine. Why don't we give you 30 at the end? Pattern break, go even shorter with them. And that's a way to show people, hey, you're gonna figure out whether or not this is a fit for you even earlier than you thought you'd be in for on this meeting. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here?
1: Well, Armand, you said a great upfront contract at the beginning of this episode. Either the guest heard this show, hated everything they've heard, and they're still listening, and so they're going to leave and never listen again, or they're going to leave us a written review about all the wonderful things that we've done for them. Gosh, I don't mean to sound that conceited, but it would really mean a lot if you would leave us a written review of the show. I like reading them. It really just warms my heart. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. the